0: Hello, Welcome to EV Chat, the exciting new podcast and place to be. We get to e-meet and greet industry players and decision makers. We'll be asking and discussing some tough questions from drivers on the street to top CEOs from major EV organizations, entrepreneurs, legislators from all over the globe. Stick around. This is a different kind of show. Let's rock it. Welcome back to EV Chat, brought to you by 365 Pronto. I'm your host, Ruth Phillips. This season, we're going to go back to school, bringing you deep dives into key components and terms in electric vehicle infrastructure. This week, our lesson is EV Charging 101, where we explore how you, current and future EV drivers, get all those anodes and cathodes to power your car. If you've ever wondered how the heck a charger works, we've got just the episode for you. If you missed any episodes or are new to the show, here's a review of our syllabus so far. In our first two episodes, we got you up to speed with EV lingo. Episode three, we had a special lesson all about EV buses. Episode four, we went through all the different types of EV chargers. Now we're going to dig into how things work. Last episode, Dr. Abbas and I walked you through EV Batteries 101. Let's get rocking! With more than 44,000 EV chargers of all brands and types across the country, we're at a tipping point for EV adoption. And it's only going to accelerate as lawmakers in Washington, D.C., bring more awareness and money for EV infrastructure. As we discussed in episode four, there are three types of EV charging options. Level one chargers, level two chargers, and D.C. fast chargers, sometimes called level three. A level one charger has 2.5 miles worth of range for every hour it's plugged in. The vast majority of drivers will charge their EVs at home using something we call the Level 1 charger, a trickle charger. Level 2 chargers have 10 to 20 miles of range per hour. These are the most common of public chargers, still on an AC outlet. Level 3 or DC fast chargers, 100 miles of range per hour. DC power, special plugs. We have a special program dedicated to those. With lots of new brands and stations popping up all over the place, it can be confusing for some to know where and how they can charge their EVs. Is it like a gas station where you can buy any brand of fuel but need a certain type of fuel, like regular, premium, or diesel? Or is it like a plug you can pull in to get your car charged? What do you need to know before you can take a trip on an EV? And how does an EV charging station work anyhow? Well, I brought in a friend and 365 Pronto colleague, Robert Rizzo, to talk with me about this. Rob is 365 Pronto's Vice President of EV Solutions and Infrastructure and an encyclopedia of knowledge about how EV chargers work. Rob has nearly a quarter of a century of experience in the EV battery space. In the 1990s, he was heavily involved in installing the first 400 EV chargers for the likes of Nissan, GM, Ford, Honda and Chrysler. He led a massive project for the Department of Energy where he deployed and analyzed data from 15,000 EV charging stations check this out. Rob's work has driven the installation of more than 25,000 charging stations across the US and Canada. So I thought I was a veteran in this business and I like to think that I know a little bit about the electric vehicle charging industry, but I've met my match. In fact, this guy, Rob Rizzo, who I've known for over 20 years. Welcome to the show, Rob. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing nowadays.
1: Great. Hey, thanks, Ru. It's great to be here today. Really excited to be on EVChat. I listen to every single episode, and thanks for having me on. Over at 365 Prono, VP of Solutions and Infrastructure, it's like a dream job, As you could possibly imagine, being in the business for so long, it's just so wonderful to work with so many great people, all of the OEMs that I've been working with over the last 20 years. Most importantly, the armies of service providers and electrical contractors has been great. We've pulled a lot of those folks in at 365 Prono. So it's been amazing.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Okay, so you are the equivalent of a PhD when it comes to electric vehicle industry and charge. If you were to explain what the main components of a EV charging station were to a total rookie, tell us a little bit, Rob.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's a couple of different types of station, as everybody knows. But the main components of whether it's a Level 2 station, a DC fast charge station, or any other type of high-power DC fast station they all have screens, they all have credit card readers, they all have RFID, which is radio frequency identifiers, in the event you have an app or a card that has an RFID reader on it and you want to authenticate a charge, and QR codes. Some chargers have those, and all of that's really important to be able to access the unit and request a charge. Another important component are the charge cables. What type of charge cables are they? Are they AC j 1772 which is an SAE, a Society of Automotive Engineering approved standard that over 10 years ago, the OEMs got together and said, we're going to use this for AC charging and some of the lower powered. And then as we look into some of the larger 25kW systems and larger, some of those main components are a Chatmo DC fast charge connector, a CCS, which is a combined charging system type of connector. And these are really important because, again, the SAE agreed upon these, so we didn't have to have all these different types of cables and chargers. The only additional one really is a Tesla-type charger, which is proprietary to a Tesla charger, and specifically only Tesla vehicles can use that type of charger. In the near future, we'll have inductive charging, known as wireless charging, and batteries may be a major component of that. We are starting to look at energy management systems such as PowerFlex, for example, and vehicle-to-grid technologies. So although the level two and the DC fast charge are pretty rudimentary on how we charge the vehicle, we'll have various technologies that move forward. So
0: I am Joe Public, and I have just bought a beautiful F-150 electric truck, and I'm told that the public infrastructure is so good I don't even need a charger in my house. Walk me through step-by-step, how do I use an EV charger,
1: Rob? Well, a few things. First, you gotta know how to plug it in your vehicle, which usually the dealers will show you how to do that, but most importantly is finding a station. Finding that station will consist of either the GPS, On the F-150 showing all of your local stations in which you're near, there's various cell phone apps, such as PlugShare, Blink, ChargePoint, Electrify America, GreenLots, Connect, just to name a few that typically run on a Google, Apple Maps, that you're able to find the station. Not only can they lead you there, they can help you reserve and prepay or pay when through for those particular locations. Most important thing, secondly, is really reserving that charger. If you're under a limited amount of time, there are various companies in the market today that allow you to reserve that charger. And why would we do that? We do that to ensure that there's availability when I show up at 4.30, that that unit is available, providing that the, the prior person is left. And then most importantly, paying. We have to pay for that charge. How do we pay for it? Again, mentioned credit cards, mentioned apps, mentioned the RFID and QR code. So there's a way to pay for that. Paying for charging is very similar to having a number of different credit cards in your wallet that we use on a day to day basis. There's a number of different apps that that utilize the payment mechanism depending on what type of charge you're at. And there is some roaming amongst the different providers that allow you to use a specific app on a different type of charger. So finding the charger, reserving the charger, paying for the charger, plugging in. How do we plug in? Well, you gotta know how to plug in. Are you plugging in the J1772 cable or a DC fast? Typically, it's really gonna depend on how much of a charge you need. And then one of the other items that I look at is waiting and queuing. The expected durations can be slowdowns for a lot of people, similar to gas pumps. So if you think about that queuing and waiting there can be substantial times you may have to wait 30 minutes you may have to wait an hour so try to recommend to pay up front and reserve that location where you can and then what happens when you're done is what i like to look at that is are you allowed to stay there forever if i am getting a 30 minute charge can i stay there for two hours or three hours typically not it's not very good etiquette to remain at the location there's probably somebody behind you there may be somebody that actually reserved that unit that has to go in there again what happens if you overstay you welcome well there's a little thing of called an additional charge and what's going to happen is the software company once you stop you may have that grace period that's allowed by the site host but ultimately they probably want to get you out of there and they're going to start putting an additional fee onto the charge itself so the charge payment mechanism doesn't actually stop until you unplug the vehicle. And the reason for that is just so people don't overstay. So that's really important.
0: So you've worked with about as many EV charging companies as anybody in the business. Now, understanding that the connectors are kind of standardized nowadays, is there any difference between the major brands or can drivers just drive up to any brand and get the right plug?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier about the UL Underwriters Laboratory and the SAE standard, traditionally, you've got the J1772, you have the Chatamo, and you have the CCS, and then you have the Tesla for the Tesla vehicles. Most importantly, for a safeguard aspect, when you look at some of the different manufacturers, they will actually lock the connector in place, which doesn't allow you to remove that So if you pulled up to a site and somebody just got there 10 minutes ago, it doesn't allow you to go (laughs) remove that because the parking space is available next to you and you can pull that charge cable out and initiate a charge. So that's really important. And also from a safeguard aspect, everybody should know that the vehicle always communicates with the charger. And again, this is a UL mandate and a specification. And that the vehicle battery always dictates the amount of charge and energy that will go into a battery. Vehicle and charger are constantly communicating, raising and lowering the current as needed. Temperature of the battery is very important and dependent of the state of charge. So again, good communications between the vehicle. Vehicles dictating the charge. How much do I need? So some people think that just because you plug in, it's going to top off 100%. It may, and it may take a while to do that. But most people like to get about a 90 to 90% state of charge.
0: That's a good point for my next question. You know, we had a guest, James Tillman, from Brightmove earlier in the season. He cautioned us about topping off batteries. It may or may not be good. What's your fall on that argument, Rob?
1: Well, again, the charging companies are really smart. The last thing they want to say is they're destroying batteries. So that communication between the vehicle battery and the charger are key. That's really the key component there. Tesla's been fast charging from inception. Ever since they started their vehicles, they've always pushed for fast charging. And if it was actually destroying batteries, they probably wouldn't be in business any longer. I'm really thinking that it's dependent on the person. From an industry standard, I would say it doesn't necessarily destroy the battery. But if you don't always have to go to a full charge every single time, because remember this, when a vehicle pulls up, there's a specific state of charge to a battery. That battery is going to ask the amount of energy that it wants to be received from the charging station. Charging station is going to go ahead and put that in, and it's going to start curtailing down when it reaches about 85 to 90%. Different manufacturers differ on when they start curtailing that down. And the reason for that is is so we don't have a lot of energy going into a closely full battery and causing any type of overheating. If there's any type of overheating which destroys the battery, vehicle will shut it down charger has specific parameters to look at uh, heating of batteries but there are some really good safeguards in there to protect
0: and now a word from our sponsor ev chat is powered by 365 pronto the world's first platform that links owners of cleantech assets with a nationwide network of local and on-demand technicians As we all watch the news about potentially historic investments in solar energy and electric vehicle infrastructure, we hear a lot about how manufacturing and installation will drive scores of new jobs. However, we haven't talked about how these items will be serviced and repaired. That's where 365 Pronto comes in. Its unique matching technology has helped owners of electric vehicle charging stations, solar voltaic systems, and related battery storage and IoT devices access a local, on-demand, and certified operations and maintenance network. This is how it works. Every work order, asset owner, and local service provider has unique sets of DNA, including service radius, certifications, insurance, and years of experience and more. The platform offers an alternative to outdated O&M service contracts through an efficient pay-as-you-go model. There are no contracts, bidding, or surprises, and it takes about 10 minutes to register. What are you waiting for? Learn more at 365pronto.com. Now let's get back to rocking. So what do you say to people who say electric vehicle charging takes too long?
1: It really just depends on really the type of charger and how much energy you really need. Level two chargers can take up to eight hours to charge. A DC fast charge at 50kW can typically charge 80kWh battery up to 20 minutes, depending on what that state of charge is. If you have home charging, you can certainly do that. And that will reduce some charge. But there's a lot of people that don't have home charging. There's a lot of people that are relying on public-facing charging. Because I always say, how much charge do you need? If I have a 250-mile range Ford F-150, and I'm really only working 32 miles away, do I really need to charge every day? Probably not. And then also when I pull into charge, how much energy do I really need? Do I really need to top off my battery? It's Friday afternoon, four o'clock. I've got the whole weekend. I'll be running a few errands. But most importantly, maybe it's 10.30 at night, and it may take 45 minutes to an hour to charge my battery. I can just charge it for five or 10 minutes because I really only need that 12 miles left. So it's really dependent on what your real needs are. So when someone says it takes too long, well, maybe you're sitting there too long because the reality is these are DC fast chargers and the maximum amount of energy is going into the battery that could possibly gain.
0: So there's some creative ideas going around about where to put these chargers. What are some of the things that you think we could do while you're charging to pass the time? There was one kind of like coffee lounge, I think it was called EV Oasis. What are some ideas what we could do to pass the time?
1: Well, there's destination charging, there's workplace charging, but I think your question really is around commercial charging, commercial locations. What do I do to pass the time? if I'm going to be there for maybe more than 30 minutes. If you're gonna go get a level two charge and it's gonna take eight hours, you probably have something to do at that mall for two to three hours or that destination location or a museum, et cetera. But really the 20 to 30 minutes to pass the time for a DC fast, go in and have a snack. A lot of these locations, Starbucks are putting DC fast charging out front of them. A lot of cafes, as you mentioned, most importantly, If you've got an extra 15 or 20 minutes, go patronize the location. They appreciate it. A lot of people will have a tendency with a family of four if they're going from Phoenix to Los Angeles and they want to stop off at Indio, for example. Guess what? I may need that full 30 minutes. Let's go in and patronize and let's go ahead and get some burgers and some fries and some wraps and let's go ahead and eat. Let's pass the time that way. So people can be creative. A lot of people I see are in hurries and they don't leave the vehicle. I see some guys on their laptops. Hey, they're getting work done. So uh, so there's a lot of different ways to help pass the time.
0: All right, let's talk about reliability and operability. When I pull up to a gas station, I expect to be able to buy gasoline. What happens if you pull up to an EV charging station and it's not working?
1: Well, there's a few things. People are really used to looking at the apps to take a look where they're going to go. And some of the really good apps have the availability, if it's working, how many stations there are, and what stations are busy, and most importantly, which stations are out of service. If I'm going from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, an electric vehicle, and the Barstow station is out, and that's the only one I have, and it says it's down for commissioning or something, that's a problem for me. I don't have a place to charge for that. But most importantly, what we do, and we work with the OEMs and manufacturers and the large customers that are owner-operators, is we do a 365 Pronto API integration, which basically says anytime we get an error that's a fatal error and can't be reset over the air... We will go ahead and dispatch somebody out there in a specific amount of time. So whether that SLA, which is a service level agreement, is four hours or it's eight hours or it's 12 hours, that's an automated process through 365 Pronto. That's an automated dispatch.
0: Do you think we're paying enough attention, Rob, to how reliable these charging stations are? Or do you think it's an afterthought? I see a lot of attention being on installation now. Do you think we're actually thinking about the next 25 years and the operability?
1: Yeah, I think the owner-operators are. When you have a high utilization rate at a location in San Francisco and that thing's down for three days and it's used for 22 hours a day, that's a problem. We just lost a lot of money at that location. And I think as we progress with different stimulus dollars that are going to be coming into EV charging... There's going to be specific service level agreements. There's going to be mandates by the federal government that says you need to have this minimal amount of uptime. And guess what? That may be 96 or 98%. If you've got 15 units at a location, we won't be able to have three or five units down for whatever reason. We're going to have to have those units up and running.
0: So you've been involved with the industry since the late 90s, installing them even. Do you think we're putting them in the right places, Rob?
1: You know, yes and no. I think for the desired big box and big retailers, big commercial locations, we'll probably all have charging eventually. We are taking an equity stake in helping companies look at heat maps where there may be some specific needs for maybe disadvantaged communities that really require a little bit more thought of where things can go. There's some really good software companies out there right now that are mapping these heat maps based upon geographic areas of where people live, disadvantaged communities where they are. Who's using the chargers? Why would we put chargers there? Maybe somebody is a rideshare driver and he doesn't really have a full electric car, but he borrows one and he uses ones, and he needs one charger in his area. We can identify those areas in specific cities to make sure they're getting put in the right places. I believe that as we move forward with this amount of funding that's coming into the arena, so to speak, there will be a higher edge and a higher requirement for accountability on where these are really placed and why did you do
0: So you talk about funding. Let's talk about that for a second. Stimulus. What's one thing that you wish lawmakers knew about EV infrastructure that you think could accelerate EV adoption, Rob?
1: Well, I think as I've been performing installations for the last 20 years and have put in 30,000 chargers, our number one barrier is being able to get it in in a timely manner. Everybody And the authorized handling jurisdictions, the AHJs at the city level, county level, and also different utility companies. When you're asking lawmakers, how can you help? We really need to get into streamlining. The previous administration had some streamlining large projects that they were pushing through pretty fast because they made sense. Installing an electric vehicle infrastructure project isn't real difficult to do especially when we have power availability and we know what we want to do and we're replicating the design because i'm an electrify america i'm an evgo i'm a large company that replicates sites they shouldn't have to go in and get all of these drawings always approved some of these locations can be anywhere from 30 days to 18 months so could you imagine if you had to apply for a site and not know for 18 months if it's going to be ready and done, if we can move forward or not. There's one thing I know that's going to happen with this new stimulus money that comes out, is nobody's going to get any money until that site's done and built. They may get some progress payments, but most importantly, they're not going to get full dollars. And a lot of people aren't going to want to wait 12 months, 18 months, maybe in some cases, two years. A lot of the AHJs and utility companies have been really stressed Over the number of years, not only just for EV charging, but the solar and the battery storage and those alternative energy industries coming into play are taking time and they're taking time away from normal types of building. So if I was to look at a lawmaker, I would say, how do we streamline the installation portion and the infrastructure piece of this to get units in in a rapid stance?
0: So you talk about stimulus. Recently, uh, I was speaking in New York at an EV charging conference, and we was hearing from the legislators and the commissioners about the Biden stimulus money, $7.5 billion, 500,000 charging stations. And there was a concern about the local electricians and the local labor force educating them on this new transition, if you like, to electric vehicles. Do you think that, first off, the local guys are aware of what's coming over the hill, so to speak? And if so, what could we do, Rob, to bring this new industry and train electricians across the nation?
1: Well, there's a very good amount of the electrical contractors throughout the United States that have been doing EV charging, and it's nothing new to them. So the existing workforce is ready to an extent. We at 365 Pronto have been prepping for this for a number of months when we knew this was gonna come down. Operations and maintenance network is rock solid. We're gathering more names. We're putting more qualified, competent, certified type providers with electricians onto our provider network so we can go help support the influx of all of the EV charging that's gonna be happening. So we're really, really excited we're working with a couple of organizations, one in particular, which is EVITP, pushed through and supported by the IBEW and the National Electrical Contractors Association, which is NECA, supports the EVITP training portion of the testing to help get qualified for EV charging installation.
0: Well, I want to kind of invite you back onto the show just to talk about this skill, labor force and the focus on the ev industry rob sadly we've come to the end of the show i could go on for three hours with my old buddy (laughs) we could even talk about back in the day of the early ev1 and the avcon and the conductive but that's for another show rob rizzo it has been a blast having you on the show but will you come back and see us again
1: Absolutely, get this uh, stimulus kicked off. It'd be great to give an update on where we are and the technologies that are supporting that. So, thanks again, Rue, for having me on board and uh, look forward to more EV Chat episodes. Have a great day.
0: Well, that's all for this episode of EV Chat. I want to thank my 365 Pronto colleague, Robert Rizzo, for chatting with me and to all of you for tuning in. We want to hear from you. What are some of the questions you have about EV charging? Do you still get range anxiety? Have you any wisdom to share with our EV community? If so, tweet us using the hashtag EVchat or email me rue at 365pronto.com. That's R-U-E at 365pronto.com. More information about the show can be found in our show notes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on an episode. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends or consider leaving us a rating. This helps us reach even more current and future EV enthusiasts. Today's show was brought to you by 365 Pronto and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Until then, ciao.